Is that... Here we go. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the MSG Podcast. We don't even have to do that intro. Why not? The people want to know who we are. Well, they know who we are if they listen. They want to, you know, hear from us. And also, we don't have to say what the podcast is, considering they're listening to the podcast. Okay, well, nix that. Just cut that whole part out. Well, I'm not cutting it out. Well, shoot. There's <laughs> no point in cutting it out. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it well, hasn't been terribly long. I guess just a week. Been a week, as usual. Mm-hmm. It's usual. been a rather dull week at that. Not well, much has happened. And... It's always a dull week, though. Yeah. So. Well, not always. Sometimes big things happen. Uh, yeah. Just not this well, week. It's always a dull week for me. Yeah, work often gets pretty monotonous. Yes. So, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. I guess we can, we can mention the things that... Uh, Political sphere. I, I don't have much to go on this time around. Well, uh, Biden is officially president. Yes, he Inauguration is. day was what, what day was that? Uh, night, was it the Wednesday? Sixteenth. It was 19th? the twentieth, which was a couple days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that Wednesday? I've, I uh, haven't been keeping a close watch to was. be honest. Yeah. Um, besides that, days usually blend in together. So. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's now residing in the White House quite happily, and he, he, uh, he's been uh, exhausting his hands signing plenty of executive orders. I'm sure he has. He's keeping his promises, which that's uh, that's something, I suppose. I didn't know really any of his promises. His promises were was to undo everything Trump had done. There you go. Via executive order. I mean, so he stopped construction on the border wall. He's uh, if he hasn't signed it already, it's on the docket to tear down the wall. Hell yeah. Um, it's it's interesting. I mean, I'm, that's what Trump did for Obama, though. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it just is. Go back and and that it. kind of stuff is only going to get worse. Every president after that it's is just going to, you know, go how, back and forth. How it goes. Although I'm not convinced we'll ever have a Republican president again, or even a quasi conservative one. But that's beside the point. Do you think Trump Trump was an actual Republican, or kind of just he was took the name? He was conservative, and I think he jumped on the Republican platform because it. It was what closely aligned with his values, okay. but I, I wouldn't call him a true Republican in that sense. I mean, for most of his life, he was a Democrat. Yeah. So it was fascinating to me that, one, he chose to jump on that platform, which was 180 degrees different from what he used to believe, yeah. but then he also kept all the promises he professed leading up to his inauguration, yeah. which very few uh, people in the political sphere will actually keep their promises. Yeah. Maybe one or two of the big ticket ones in case somebody looks at what they're doing, but most of the time they, they have all these little promises that go unnoticed. Yeah, that's, that's fair. But Trump kept just about every one that he could. He, he tried to build the wall. Yeah, well, he did. I mean, it's not, it's not, not completed. <laughs> it would have been complete in his eight years if would he had been, been. I don't think it would I think so. Well, I don't think he still would have got it. It would have been close. I mean, it took him so long to get it started because like, everyone fought him. There's just him. not a lot to the wall even before no. they're tearing it down. I mean, Nothing that's I know the, the biggest section of it is in Texas, so we got that going for there us. There you go, and it's going to be gone, so. Yeah. I, Actually, if, it, if, it, if it's on privately owned property, right, mm-hmm. could the people who own the property say don't touch the wall since it's their property? Good question. I think Because they had to get order, permission from those people to build it on their property, right? I think in order for the wall to be constructed in the first place, that land had to be surrendered to the government, which the people were happy to do okay. because it added protection for them. I mean, the people along the border, we don't often hear the story of how often abused they are by the cartels and by the the illegal running and uh, smuggling of drugs and people across the border. Yeah. There is no security along the border except where there's the wall. Hmm. So I think they were more than happy to just yeah take the land because it wasn't very much just just yeah. wide enough for the wall and whatever easement that they thick had. It, to. Do you know how thick it was? Probably it's like only six maybe, feet. No, it's not even that. It's not probably like three, three feet, feet. Damn, three or four feet. Yeah, and they yeah they probably had an access easement on the the internal side so people could you know work on the wall if it yeah. had problems. But hmm. yeah, that would have been a shoe in. So the government probably owns that land, or at least they have legal access to do whatever they want to with it. Now, it's it gets trickier than that because Biden can say, I'm going to stop the construction or I'm going to tear down the wall all he wants, but there's some legal boundaries he can't overstep unless he just throws the legal system for a loop, which is government contracts are very, very closely monitored and very stringent in how they operate. 
So, like, if you sign a contract with the government, it, it usually gets carried through. So I'm sure there's companies that are building sure you, the wall. I'm pretty sure you could go back through and cancel the contract, though. The government contracts are very weird. It. They're very weird. So he might be able to stop any further construction of the wall. But in terms of what's already been contracted, I'm not sure if he has the he ability does. to do that. I would say he probably does. And if he does, then the money just gets lost. Because, I mean, I mean they, they were already paying the contractors to do it. So they'd just be going, okay, have, however many billions of dollars. Yeah. And you don't have to finish it. Good for them. Yeah, that's probably great. That's good for those contractors. <laughs> And as far as tearing down the wall, that's a, a whole nother problem. I, I can't imagine anybody, including those of a liberal mindset, would be happy with the waste of taxpayer dollars because you already paid the money for the wall to be built. Well, I mean, it's it's a half and half, right? Yeah. Like, it was pretty much like a half and half split through America. Like when we voted Trump, mm-hmm. like half of America wanted Trump, the other half didn't. Right. And Trump won. Mm-hmm. And it was this, it was pretty much that for this time. It was yeah. a half and a half. Right. So half, it's just going to be half of them are going to be mad. The other half are going to be happy. Yeah. That's kind of how it works. Right. But it's like, I don't understand the, the mentality of tearing down the wall because that's going to cost a lot of money to do that. And besides that, they he already signed an executive order to open up the borders again. As in, there's there's no restrictions on yeah. travel anymore. So I mean, why tear down the that wall? Was happen, yeah. Why? Why? It's you also not, the main you, channels. You have to look at it from their perspective as well, is it's not exactly a waste of money. So like, well, they're just socking off, it to Trump, really. Well, yes. That's what they're trying so to like, do. So like, first off, obviously they want the wall completely gone, mm-hmm. which is probably something to do. Also, they already waste money. Yes, they do. <laughs> they do. Everybody in Congress and stuff were getting paid like their full amount throughout the entire Corona mm-hmm. situation, lockdowns that are going on now or in the past. But everybody else was losing their jobs. They could have took a, a decreased pay and still been fine, but they didn't. Right. It was just a waste of money. Which is why I think a lot of their orders were disingenuous. There's probably some of them that really were, really did have the people's best interest in mind when they did it. And they might have been a little jaded in their thinking when they were going, yes, we have to do all these shutdowns and everything. But I think the vast majority, you know, they're so disconnected from what the, the average person you know, their average lifestyle is. Because they have a position of uh, uh, of power and of privilege, really. I hate to use that word, but they have a position of privilege in their political position to have income whenever they want it. They they didn't have to suffer to the same extent as the regular working man. And, you know, same with all the, the mask mandates and the social distancing. Very few of them actually abided by those laws when they weren't on camera. Yeah, it, it's it was funny to me to see all those press conferences when they didn't shut the cameras off afterwards really quickly, and all the the Democratic reporters would get up and rip their masks off and and be you know talking face to face. It's like it's so disingenuous. You you don't care. You just you're either interested in controlling the people, or you just you don't understand what you're doing. And yeah. neither of those is a good thing. Well, yeah, but I mean, most people in higher power don't really care about the other people. They should. That the was, most. I mean, yes, yeah. they should. Yeah, but they don't. So I mean, everyone in the political sphere, by definition, is a civil servant, which is fascinating because the political our political sphere was actually based off of um, something that came straight out of the Bible, which was servant leadership, which is which is what Christ exemplified. It was a completely new concept. Normally, you have something that's akin to delegation only. It's, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, but like the, the boss versus leader debacle. Um, um, no, I don't Where it's like a boss delegates. So he's not in the trenches with the people. So he, he tells his people what to do, and they go do it. But the boss is not helping them. Whereas a leader tells his people what to do, but he also does it with them. He's showing them how to do it okay. as they're doing it, and he's going with them. So it's like it's that kind of thing. The, the political leaders that we have are of the people. They're to represent the people and be for the people's best interests. And in so far in that, they're also to serve those best interests, which is why it's terrifying we have all these people, the, the rhinos on the right and then all of the, the, the left leaners that are just encamped in their positions. They have the high salaries and they're working for their best interests and not the interest of their constituents. 
Yeah. It's like that's completely backwards. You you become bosses where you're supposed to be leaders. And it's it's scary because very few people have read through the Constitution and have seen their responsibilities and also the limits of their power. Because well, yeah. their power is very often abused and people don't know it. Just like the, the office of the executive branch, or the office of the presidency and vice presidency, it's like those powers have been abused year in, year out for many years. It, it didn't just start with Obama, uh, as many Republicans will say. It's been abused quite often. And it's like nobody's standing up to stop them because nobody knows what their limits are. Yeah. Like the executive order process is a caveat in the legal system, but it's so abused. It's like they're using it like a dictator would, essentially. Yeah. And Trump was guilty of that. But it's like, I don't think he could have gotten anything accomplished because yeah. everyone was so against him. And now uh, Biden is using the same process, but in increased amounts. Yeah. It's it's definitely troubling, but again, there's not much we can do about it. We can't restore morality because that's on yeah. individuals. Yeah, that's just like a, a generational thing, I think. Yeah. So. Well, even that, I mean, they've so castrated our moral system because they removed God from everything. Well, yeah. The whole debate of separation of church and state, you know, completely removed God from every facet of the government and from schooling. And so people are being taught to be good, in air quotes, but if you don't have a basis for that morality, I'm sure we've talked about it before, like if, unless you have objective truth or a moral law giver, then morality is subjective and it can be broken. And that's what they're doing. Yeah. It's like, who says that's wrong? And they've removed the person who says it's wrong. So now it's whatever people want. Yeah. Well, it's the idea of like free religion and yeah. that. So now everybody wants to go to school and learn about God. They don't want to learn about God, so they go to a different school. Yeah. It doesn't teach it. And you see larger and larger groups doing this, until most of them are. Yeah. Well, so. there's, there's a greatly increased interest in uh, the existence of God or what The God idea states. of God, I think yeah. people, everybody finds interesting the idea of God, but not everybody yeah. will follow it. Right. And and people, you know, they're they're interested in the idea of God, but they they hate the Judeo-Christian idea of God. But they like other other religious views where, you know, like Christ was just a a good person and he taught good morals and yeah. how to be a good person, but he wasn't actually God incarnate. They don't like that part. Well, yeah. Because that comes with responsibility. Well, if they say that, then it kind of backs up yeah, the rest of it. So well, and it, it's true. It's the completion of that moral, and you know, there, there's so much there. It'd be hard to to talk about in depth. But you're absolutely right. I mean, it's like they don't like Christ because it also more or less condemns their own actions. Everybody's happy with a system where which is subjective. It's like, oh yeah, Christ taught morals, but they don't like the idea he is the law. Yeah. It's it's an interesting idea, and I'm glad you sent me. Um, Trey sent me a. Uh, oh yeah, I got that from my brother. It's called the uh, the God Delusion. Yes, it was yeah. a, a, debate a debate between John Lennox and uh, Richard Richard uh, Richard Dawkins. Yeah, Dawkins. And uh, it's a fascinating debate. And John Lennox, I believe, is probably the best one they could have picked to fight for the God side. Um, and if anybody has the chance, go look that up if you have yeah. access to it. It's on YouTube. It's basically a, a debate between a Christian and an atheist. Yeah. So it's but at the very... They're pretty in that they're like some of the highest in their powers yes. in their own categories. Mm-hmm. Very, very thoughtful, both of them, in their own respective positions. And again, like, don't go to that debate looking for, you know, like, oh, one of them thrashed the other. I thought they both made good arguments. Yeah. But... When you look at Richard Dawkins' position in it, he wasn't approaching the playing field from the same angle, I guess you could say. Well, I think the debate just took a, a turn because they had a, a line out for how they wanted the debate mm-hmm. went, but then they both kind of took it in their own way. Yeah. I think that, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I'd, I had watched that a number of years ago, and it was good to get a refresher more or less because I'd forgotten a lot of what they talked about. And I remembered 
Linux's um, ending statement as one of the strongest, and it, it flies in the face of everything that uh, Dawkins had said, which was pretty much, yeah, if if you view the universe as a garden, then you have to have somebody that made that garden. As in, yeah, if you you know walked into somebody's yard and you saw a garden that was well tended and everything was pruned and everything, you wouldn't assume that that got there naturally. Just like the laws of nature are chaos, and if anything has order at all, you have to assume that there was intelligence behind that. Yeah. And it's like the order of the universe can only be explained by some sort of order giver. Yeah. It was a very strong statement because he just flipped what was already in Dawkins' book, which was fascinating. And Dawkins didn't attack that again from a different angle. He just sort of dismissed it. He was very dismissive throughout the entire debate. I think he he tried to. I think he defended himself pretty well. He did. I mean, he did. Most of the things he was thrown at him. But the things that were really the the best statements from Linux, he kind of dismissed. Sort sort of like he denied that atheism was in fact a belief or a faith, which you know faith. Trust and belief can all be interchangeable in certain contexts. And that's what Lennox was trying to get him to realize. It's like, you're bashing me for my faith, which is evidence-based, when you claim to have evidence in atheism. It's like, is that not a faith in and of itself? Do you not believe that? It's like, I believe mine. It's a faith. And so it it was interesting. He kept dismissing that claim for sure, which was... You know, core tenet of his argument was, you know, I believe in atheism because it's the fact. It's like, okay, so you claim you have evidence, but in order to hold that way of thinking, you have to believe it. Yeah. And he wouldn't admit to that. Well, yeah. So it's like, it was interesting. I, I loved watching it, though. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting. It was, I will say it was pretty slow. It was. It was just a kind of like casual debate. Mm-hmm. So, but it was very well moderated, though. Yeah. Uh, so many debates I've seen, you know, the people almost get into fisticuffs, which is not an intellectual debate. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. They, I can see getting passionate about the subjects because they really do believe them. Um, but in the best interest of an intellectual discussion, you have to be passive and you have to just meet people's arguments where they are. Yeah. And, um, I Yeah, I remember watching that for the first time, and that came at an interesting time in my own walk, because for so many years, um, I was afraid of like getting into those kind of debates and watching that kind of stuff where the faith and, and lack of faith was contrasted so heavily, because I was afraid, oh, well, what if I run into a position that makes sense, that would draw me away from God? Yeah. Um, Eventually, I just started to make myself do it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I found, yeah. The, it's like, chances are you're not going to be swayed in your beliefs by a debate. Yeah. Um, and that's what I found to be the truth. Um, debates are more or less just figuring out what you believe, what the debaters believe. And it, it reinforces your position, really. Yeah. Whether you're the debater or you're just listening to their ideas. Um, but yeah, that one... And there's a the whole slew of them that I was watching at the time. There was one that came out I remember watching. It was the the one between Bill Nye and uh, I can't remember the guy's name. The uh, the overseer of the Creation Museum, I believe, where it was talking about creation versus uh, the Big Bang. That one was a good one. Um, but yeah, again, it's like debate is not the best place to go if you want to change somebody's mind. It's just good for getting information out yeah. and just discussing things. Yeah. So, uh, this is something I, I listened to that at work. My brother sent it to me, so yeah. tested it out. But you ought to look into more of uh, John Lennox's stuff. Yeah. He's very articulate and uh, very well thought in terms of his worldview. Yeah, and he emphasizes, and rightly so, um, evidence-based Christianity. So many people in the world today believe that Christians are operating under blind faith. Um, and they often use that passage in Scripture uh, that where Christ says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. But we're not called to blind faith. There are definitely evidences, not only 
for the things that Christ did in the past. So there's historical evidence there. But there's also evidence that we can see in our own lives and the lives of others in terms of the transformative power of the presence of the Spirit. So the, the radical way in which a person's nature is changed by believing in God and walking with Him. Because yeah. you, your own desires get changed. Doesn't mean you stop sinning, but you start desiring less that sin, and you don't enjoy the sin as much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it it tears you up. When it's so, it's like you can see that and go, okay, something changed. And that's a proof. Yeah. And there's lots of things. The fruit of the spirit is another one. It's like you start seeing that in somebody's life that was not like that before. Something had to happen, and you know, I, I think he's absolutely right in arguing that. Yeah. And I think he's also what they call a presuppositionalist, which I would align with, which is um, you, you go into debates and arguments and talks with the presupposition that the Bible is absolutely true, which you have to. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the Word of God, and God doesn't lie. So it's like... But that viewpoint is so important because atheists are presuppositionalists in their position. They don't set aside their science when they go into a debate. But there's so many Christians that set aside the Bible when they go into a debate because they, they think, well, the person, the other person is not going to agree with the Bible as the source of truth. Therefore, I have to put it aside and argue from the position of the world. Yeah. Whereas we should be arguing from the Bible regardless. Because, I mean, it is historically accurate. It's factually accurate. And Bodhi Bauckham puts it very well. He says, I, I will no more defend the Bible than I would defend a lion. It doesn't need defending. It's God's word. It can defend itself. So I was like, that's that's an interesting concept that very few people, and I, I was guilty of this for many years, just sort of forgetting about. Yeah, I mean, I, I did that too. So yeah, and that's why uh, Christianity and faith is a walk. It's uh, people get discouraged when they first become Christians. A lot of them do because they expect to see either perfection or, or themselves better, much better than they, they are at the beginning. But it it is a walk. Yeah. You, you go through different phases, and as, as you study the Word and you're pursuing truth and you're praying for understanding and wisdom about it, God is good to give you that wisdom and understanding. It takes time, though. And He also uses situations and, and dark periods in your life and storms, you know, to to mold you into what you're asking for. And, um, you know, I, I was definitely guilty of just like, well, am I even saved at times? Because I didn't, you know, I wasn't seeing this or that made manifest in my life because it wasn't really, <laughs> it wasn't making itself known. Yeah. But, you know, we go back to that, that uh, other passage in Scripture that uh, to God a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. So his time schedule is different than ours. Yeah. And uh, we're kind of cursed a little bit as Americans cause, and, and people in the West because we're so used to getting things quickly and, you know, push a button on an app and we get whatever we want when, whenever we want it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, God will be good to give you what you need and also what you ask for in due time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think... As we, uh, throughout the generations, we definitely get used to not being as patient. Mm-hmm. I know that. And yeah, getting something you need compared to something you want, I think it's very different. So yeah. sometimes you don't know what you need, but you know what you want, even though you probably don't need it. Right. So. Yeah, I was, uh, it was a really good sermon today at church, um, where the pastor was talking about that concept exactly. Uh, he was talking about, uh, Peter, when Peter declared Christ the Messiah, um, he was talking about how Peter would have had a very specific idea of who the Messiah was, just in, in his understanding of the Old Testament, because that's all they had to go on at the time. Yeah. Christ's walk was new revelation. Um, but he would have understood the Messiah as the the lawgivers and the law keepers would have understood it as the king that would have come down and he would have destroyed all the enemies of Israel and raised Israel up as the kingdom that oversaw the earth. That is promised and that's still coming. But it didn't happen first. And so 
if you read the, that passage in Matthew, and it's in all the Gospels, of where Peter declares Christ the Messiah, he declares that rightly. But he has, he's, he's thinking of the Messiah in a different light. And so the thing that immediately follows that is Christ starts talking about how he has to die and be raised up again, and he has to be persecuted for all these things to come true. And Peter takes Christ aside and rebukes him, like, you don't do this, you, you shouldn't be talking like that. And Christ immediately rebukes him back, saying, you don't have God's will in mind. In fact, he says, get away from me, Satan, because you don't have God's will in mind. And it's like, he he understood that Christ was Messiah, but he he wanted the image of Christ, the, the conqueror, the one that was going to come and kill all the enemies. But he wasn't thinking about the other prophesied Christ, which was all represented in, in Jesus, the one that had to die for the sins of the world. He, he wasn't listening to that part. <laughs> but we often pick and choose what we want to hear from Scripture without necessarily reading what it says. And... Um, that's something I've tried to recently really get into because we, we have so many preconceptions in America. I mean, we're in the Bible Belt. So everybody knows their Bible stories, the story of Jonah and the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. We're all familiar with those. But so often when I read those passages, I gloss over what they really mean. And that's a danger. And it's something that we're kind of unique in experiencing because other cultures, they, they have no clue what these stories are and they get it when they first hear it. But we have to actually separate ourselves from what we know and read what Scripture actually says in order to get the meaning. Yeah. And that's a struggle. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely difficult. So, but a lot, a lot more difficult in like today's time. It is. What? And, you know, we're so blessed to not be persecuted for our faith here that a lot of different ideas have come to light or have come to the surface that people are aligning with that aren't really biblical. It's sort of like my favorite example, prosperity theology. They've taken a couple verses out of the Bible and they've twisted their context so that they can garner lots of money from their flock. Uh, Joel Osteen is chief among them, you know, give till it hurts, you know, that that whole idea just so they can get money, but that's the farthest, farthest thing from the truth. Yes, God desires good things for you, but the best will come in the age to come. It's, we're not supposed to receive all our good things here, um, which is why we're not all called to prosperity but, you know, they'll, they'll twist a couple of those key verses into making people think, oh, yeah, if I just give a lot, then God's going to give me a whole bunch more back. And I'll be getting driving my Lamborghini and my big house and have a nice trophy wife. And it's like, they don't get it. We're, and it goes back to that whole idea of, of servanthood as opposed to being a boss. It's like we're supposed to pursue the needs of others above our own. So why would we be pursuing our own prosperity first so that then we can help other people? Now, we're supposed to be helping other people now even though we don't have necessarily everything we think we want or everything we, we desire. Um, I think that's something that's manifest in the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and also the feeding of the 4,000. Um, you know, they have the whole crowd that comes to hear Christ speak and when he's done all the people are hungry and the disciples are worried about the crowd because they say well they've been with us for three days and not one of them has eaten in all that time they're probably growing faint and they might collapse on the way back to their homes what can we do and Christ you know says well what kind of food do we have they got the five loaves for the five thousand and a couple of fish um, Christ does not feed them directly he tells the disciples to feed them. And they're bewildered because, you know, they see the five flows and the two fish and that's not going to work. But Christ, he takes what 
little they have and makes it great and he gives it to the disciples and the disciples take it and they distribute it to all the people first now notice they haven't eaten any of the stuff they're taking what they're given and they're giving it to the people first so they're serving the flock that's there and afterwards they collect 12 basketfuls of the leftover pieces and uh, I've heard it said in several commentaries and sermons that that's representative it's like they're given a little bit and I'm sure their desire is to eat I mean sure in the first example in the feeding of the 5,000 they were trying to escape from the crowd so that they could go eat and rest because they had come back from their ministry abroad because Christ had sent them out two by two to go minister to the people so they wanted to get away and eat and rest and just be restored but before they could do that they had to deal with the crowd and so that, that goes back to, yeah, their desire was to eat, but before that, they served the people. And when they collected all the basketfuls, it was one basket for each of the 12 disciples. So symbolically, it was pretty much saying, okay, just put aside your own desires for a second and serve the people. And when it's all said and done, you'll have more than enough to meet your desires. And I, that, that's representative of the age to come because our treasure is not here. It never was intended to be here and that's why it's so sinful to get caught up in the desires here because it, it's going to pass away. It's all going to be gone to dust at some point. We can't take the things of this world with us but it, it's said time and time again and it's stressed so importantly just build your treasures in heaven and I struggle with that a lot because there's, there's a lot of worries of this life that we contend with. And um, that's why I think it's important being with the fellowship and, and going to church and listening to people preach um, and dwelling in the Word yourself and, and praying because otherwise we all get sucked back into those desires of the world and, and uh, the worries that come with that. But I don't know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a great, great topic we're on right there. Yeah, it's. So. I I love the Bible because I, I know I've said it before, but it is a book of infinite wisdom, and we can't wrap our heads around that. But as many times as you read it and pray for meaning from it, God is good to send the Spirit to teach you new things. You can continue to learn new things and to get a, a more full-orbed picture of the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God all the way up until the day you die. Like You could spend every waking moment in the Word and you would not run into things to learn. And there'd still be an infinite amount left for you to learn. Which is why I've, I'm glad we've got an eternity ahead of us because we're going to have plenty of time to, to get an understanding of God. But... I'm so grateful that we have the Word and we're in a society that doesn't outright condemn us yet. So we have the opportunity to study and to learn and to, to really see what God has for us. And um, it, it, it's important to desire that. You know, We're supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness and to, to look for and to, to look after studying about God. That's one of the signs that you're a Christian is to desire that and to look for that. Um, there will come a day, and I fear partially it'll come during our lifetimes when Christianity will be labeled uh, a deadly sin in the eyes of government and in the eyes of the people and will be restricted and ultimately persecuted unto death. But for now... It's important that all of us try our best and to pray earnestly for understanding so that we might all be equipped for that day. And Lord willing, God will, or Christ will tarry in his coming and we'll all have full lives. Uh, and blessed be God for that. You know, there's still lots of work left to be done. But if that day does come, we, we all do need that ammunition and that peace of mind to know that what God says is true because golly I mean for the majority of my life I haven't been pursuing God's truth as I ought well, I think that's for a lot of people to do that though 
I've done that. Yeah, because I, mean, I, I got saved at a very early age, but it wasn't until I was in high school that I started grappling with God's truth and actually trying to understand it. Uh, at the time, I didn't think it was truly understandable, or I left the understanding part to my pastors. You know, they'll they'll understand it and they'll they'll wrestle with it and then they'll tell me what to believe. But in reading the Bible, we're commanded to read and to ask for understanding and to ask for wisdom and to to grow in the faith, to grow in the spirit. Uh, John talks about that concept in 1 John, how, you know, a new believer is regarded as a, a young child. And uh, from the very moment of being saved, they're given absolute forgiveness of their sin. So it's like, the, from the moment of salvation, you don't have to worry about going to hell. That's, it, it's not like, okay, you have to get to this tier in your salvation before you can really be saved. No, it's like, from the onset, you're not going to hell. God has saved you from your sin. But there's additional steps in terms of maturity beyond that, and that only comes from dwelling in God's Word and praying for maturity and for understanding and wisdom. And um, it goes along with that idea of you know, the older you get in the faith, the, the more understanding the Spirit gives you. you. You go from a young child to a child, and then to a young man, and then ultimately you, you go to what they refer to as the Father. Not God the Father, but like a father figure, almost like an elder. But as you're going, you're, you begin to notice battles of sin that you're going through. And then as you get a little bit older, you begin to fight those battles. And you get a little bit older and, and the, you start winning the battles. You, you'll also lose some, it's, but you're fighting. That's where you get into the young man category. You're actually actively fighting those battles against sin. And it's no trivial matter. It's, it's not something where it's like, oh yeah, you're just fighting an idea. Uh, they were talking about this this morning in youth group, how it's like, you can get so invested in sin that it becomes a physical struggle. I mean, you might break out in, in chills and have elevated heart rate. You're fighting. It's a battle. <laughs> and it's, it's portrayed with warlike language often in Scripture, that battle against sin. And as you age even farther and farther in the, the truth and in the Spirit, then you're winning more and more of the battles, and you begin to see the battles before you even get there. And so you can cut them off at the pass and, and, you know, get things out of your life that you know will lead to sin. And that's when you start approaching fatherhood in regards to the Spirit. And that's when people start coming to you for advice and they start, you know, going, okay, what do I do in this situation? Um, because you've seen it. You've been through all of it. And it takes years and years and years of just faithful dwelling and fighting battles and losing battles and winning battles and, like they say, contending, wrestling with these concepts before you, you finally get there. Um, I'll probably be like in my 80s, God willing, before I even get close. I'm, I'm no more than an infant in the faith right now. I can barely stand, but I, I try and pray every day for understanding and wisdom in these concepts because we need it. We really do need it. And the world's going to come knocking one of these days, and we need to have answers ready. Peter even says, you know, have, have the answer ready and the, the reason for your hope ready to state whenever somebody asks you. And that's kind of the passive obedience. That's something we're commanded to do. But then beyond that, when we, we have to contend for the faith... In the face of the world, we have to be ready. And um, a lot of people around me are not ready, and I also am not ready. You put me up before somebody, and I, I would struggle to speak rightly. But again, it's a process. We're, we're working through it actively, and I pray that on the day that I'm tried for my faith, that I'll be ready. And he'll be good to grant that, I hope. Yeah. I, I would hope that, too. Now that we're on that subject, mm -hmm. I'm going to go back. Yeah. For a moment. So you were talking about your, or talking about 
not your church. You're talking about a church mm-hmm. where they were prioritizing like gaining money, yeah, instead of more more or less like the actual lesson and the knowledge that you would gain, mm-hmm. which I agree would also be wrong. Right now, do you think that uh, we will start seeing more and more of this over the coming years? More churches like doing this, yeah, because we already have. Uh, I'm not going to say most. I'm going to say a lot of people, but not not all are very much against the idea of God. For example, like Christianity. There are a lot of groups that hate the idea of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Not all, I wouldn't say that. So do you think this might pressure people into kind of changing their views, for example, a church, and then trying to go for more money-based while twisting the story to please the ones who aren't real followers? Yes, and we're already seeing that. Um, and just look at all of the churches that have embraced the Black Lives Matter and Antifa movement. It's like that's, that's just a, a microcosm of, I think, what's going to happen. You have fewer and fewer churches that are willing to stand for, for right teaching, which is homosexuality is wrong, and it, it's wrong for a reason. It's not just, oh, we're trying to kill everybody's fun, or you know, we're, we're against love is love and all of those movements. It's wrong, one, because God said so, and that should be enough. But there, it's more than that. It's, okay, it has to go, and it has to do with marriage, as it's outlined in the Bible. So marriage, by God's order, is supposed to be from one man and one woman. And in the beginning of Genesis, they talk about a man leaves his father, and a woman leaves his, her father, and they're joined into one flesh. Um, and what God joins, let no man separate. So you begin with that idea of marriage. So it's one man, one woman. Okay, why is that important? Because it's not just, from that earlier topic, it's not just what God says. There's a reason, and it's because marriage is the representation and the symbol of the unity between Christ and the church. So the church is often, and that the church represents all believers. Um, the church is often referred to as the bride of Christ throughout Scripture. And we're told that on the day that Christ comes back, we'll be unified in Christ. And so really, when you start arguing these things about, well, why can't marriage be between you know two women and one man, or two men and one woman, or between two men or two women, it's because it blasphemes against the symbol of the church unified with Christ. So it's like, and, and it's more than that too, and I haven't been revealed everything that that represents. But you begin to see it's not just a single faceted issue, it goes much, much, much deeper. And when you look at it in that way, you're, somebody that practices homosexuality is actually blaspheming against God. And it's the only sin for which two cities were absolutely wiped off the face of the earth with fire and brimstone because it is such an affront to God. Uh, it's, it's a big issue, but it's been watered down in even many of the Christian churches, and I'm doing air quotes here, to be, a, well, you know, Christians are all about love and Christ professed love and so we, we can't tell these people that if, you know, two men want to get married and they really love each other that we, you know, we can't tell them they can't get married. It's like, yes, you can. And the Bible demands that you say they can't be married. And you cannot waver on that point. And that's just one of the issues that people are getting wishy-washy over these days. Abortion is another one. Yeah. The sanctity of human life cannot be misrepresented as people have done it today and to see so many Christian organizations sort of ex- being accepting of abortion or supporting political figures that are so in support of abortion, they just don't get it. They don't get it. I'm sure many of them probably have the best interest of their constituents in mind or, or of the flock in mind, or they have the idea that you know all babies go to heaven if they're aborted. It's like, we don't know that. If you look through scripture it doesn't necessarily say that so 
I mean, anybody that's in support of abortion but also claims to be a Christian is supporting cutting people off from perhaps the ability to be saved. I, I believe that some babies definitely go to heaven. But again, I have to go off of what is clearly laid out in Scripture, and that's something that we don't know. So for, for a, a Christian or a pastor to think or to say that that's all right is theologically wrong, biblically wrong. And I would say they probably need to go back to, uh, to school on that one or to read their Bible a little bit more closely. It, big, big issues. And, and many of the churches were chastised. So a lot of the early churches that Paul dealt with were chastised for, for becoming lukewarm or, or watered down in their profession of the gospel. You know, you had some that were struggling with the idea of Gnosticism, where they it was professed that Christ didn't come as a literal flesh and blood human, but he was actually a, a, just a spirit. And that dealt with its own problems, and, and that would weaken the gospel, because he did come as a literal human, and he was flesh and blood on top of being fully God. And that's important. You, you, can't, you can't mess with the gospel because it breaks down the full weight of why Christ had to come in the flesh to die for our sins, to be the atoning sacrifice and the perfect sacrifice that no other man could be. Um, and other churches dealt with things like homosexuality or sexual immorality being rampant in the church. Uh, there were yet others, and they're ones that Christ specifically talked about in Revelation. Uh, you know, when he came and talked to John and told him to write letters to the seven churches, and he, he chastised just about all of them. I think there was one or maybe two that he didn't chastise as, as difficultly or as hardly. But all of them had issues and wavering in different areas of the faith. And one of them happened to be in sexual immorality or eating foods sacrificed to idols. And there were reasons why they did that, but they weren't standing firm in what was taught. They were sort of, for, for temporal expediency, let's say, they were bowing to these other issues. Um, and Christ condemned it quite heavily. So we know that it's wrong to back down on these issues. And we know also through Revelation that many Christians will fall away from the faith in the latter days. And I think we have to read that as it relates to any of the, the years after Christ came. So you'll have people that believed and then also fall away. Also, the love of many Christians will go cold in the latter days. I think that's also a reference to that. But that's why also it's very important to read the Bible for yourself and to dwell and to ask for God's wisdom and understanding so that you can root out what's wrong. To, to look at it and know for certain that is not theologically sound. And, and you become, you know, the people that profess these things, you know, like, yeah, abortion and, and homosexuality is right and it's acceptable. And, you know, the, the Bible is a, a living, God's living word, and so we can manipulate it how we want. Um, that, those are people that in the Bible are talked about as the false prophets or the false teachers, the, the wolves in sheep's clothing that lead the sheep astray. They're like ravenous wolves. It's like we have to be constantly vigilant for those uh, and the only way we can even know what to look for is by being biblically sound in what we're we're thinking we have to be steeped in a biblical mindset and a world view or else we're not going to know what to look for and uh, there's, there's so much <laughs> to get into because there's a lot involved let no man say that Christianity or the Bible is simple because it's infinitely complex, but is full of infinite truth, just as Christ is truth, and Christ is the Word, and Christ is the law. It, I don't know, I'm getting off on rabbit, rabbit trails. Uh -huh. but, I like that. But we, we are commanded to stand firm in what we believe, and in order to stand firm, we have to know what we believe first. And so that's why I would encourage everybody, get yourself a Bible and read it every day. Get in the habit of it. It doesn't matter when you read it. 
But when you do, think about it. Don't just flip through it at a lightning pace, but dwell on it. And every verse in the Bible has something that is important for us today, I believe. I think Christ can, or the Spirit can show us things and teach us things from any verse in the Bible. And I'm, I'm not somebody that, that uh, values one version over another. I think the Spirit can use any version you pick up to teach you things. But get you a Bible and read it and believe it and then also pray that you get understanding. Because, like I said, there's going to come a day and we, we, we cannot back down. That's what we're commanded to do. We, we have to stand firm or else. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, the idea of like the Bible. Yeah, I think like me and you could read the same verse and both get, get our things. own view of it, our own little lesson that are completely different. Right. And I think it's different. I mean, obviously, some people will get the same message, mm-hmm. but it's just based off of who you are and what God has or is trying to tell you and trying to show you. So. Yeah. Which is, excuse me, uh, there's so many commentaries on the Bible out there from, from, knowledgeable and wise theologians and they all get different things so you'd think yeah if it's just one document that's finite in its ability or its wisdom or if it was written by purely human authors that there would come an end to what we can glean from it but that's not the case and people are still going strong on writing commentaries that offer greater and greater understanding of what and who God is and we'll never see the end of that understanding, at least not in this plane of existence. But there, you know, as this world is temporary, the next world is infinite and unending. And uh, we're we're being prepared for that world all the time. We have to live as if that is our future home. I I get so caught up with the world sometimes, and also politics. I'm I'm akin to getting worried about that, that I forget about our future home. And also something that that people don't, a lot of theologians don't talk about, is the fact, you know, they they put so much emphasis and stress on heaven, you know, oh, when you die, you go to heaven. Yes, you do. That's, That's true. But they don't often talk about the fact that shortly after going to heaven and, and after the judgment seat, God creates a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And that's where we ultimately dwell forever. We're not just sitting up there playing harps and singing. and We will be singing praises to God and quite often, but we're not just trapped up there in heaven forever after. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and we reside on that new earth with God, because it, it says specifically in Revelation, he creates the new Jerusalem and it comes from heaven down to the new earth. So he resides with his people, which is important because that's what old Israel was, essentially. You know, they built the temple and God resided in the temple, but there was a barrier wall between God, where he resided, and the people, because his presence was so great, it would have just killed everybody if there was no symbolic barrier there but in the new jerusalem there is no temple he dwells with us with no barrier um which is again why it's important when we are saved all sin is completely removed from us at least the the repercussions of sin and we are allowed to walk with god in a sense it's like we're allowed to step past that barrier and dwell with him and we're not going to be killed because of his goodness and grace and glory. So it, there's so much in the Bible. There is so much. And I am by no means a theologian, and I have very little understanding on it, which is why most of the things I say are little snippets from other pastors or teachers, people that I believe teach rightly, because I just don't understand it all the way. Nobody does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a, a good good lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was. I hope I hope somebody can get something from it. Yeah, that was that wasn't bad. I like that. So, but anyway, I, answering you could your just question, just rant all day on stuff, dude. Yeah, I probably could. You it's could. probably not good for me too, but well, that's, that's great. <laughs> it's, it's enjoyable, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I mean, people want to agree 
with things that like anything right but you could always get information out of it if anything else even if you disagree with right some or all or whatever of what certain people believe or whatever so Mm -hmm. and and it's interesting paul talks about this quite a lot in the bible it's like the the church is not called to be orthodox in every last belief you know that we're not called to be just you know of one mind constantly on every little issue there's going to be things people believe differently in the church. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's testament to our own individuality and the uniqueness that God has born in each of us. Different things we've seen and different things we understand and the different revelation the Spirit gives us through the Word. Um, but we're also called to be in the church and to be loving of one another regardless of our differences in, in thought. That goes differently if they're core theological differences. You know, like if one Christian says homosexuality is right, yeah, that's not one of the things that you get to just say. So it's like, besides the the core theological and the gospel truths, there's a lot of things that people get worked up about that are what we call not salvatory in nature. There's always the big debate of, you know, whether the earth was created in seven days or if it was, you know, billions of years. It's like, I have my beliefs on that, and somebody else has their beliefs on it, but it doesn't matter, ultimately. And so often, churches will get fragmented because they get caught up over these little things. That's why you see so many churches, you know, the first church of uh, the, the Episcopal movement, and then you got the second church of the Episcopal movement, because it's a fragment of that church, because some of the people thought that this form of worship was better than the other, so they broke over that. And Paul specifically states in his letters... And one letter in particular, and I'm forgetting the, which one it was, but it's like, don't don't get caught up in the little things that would tear down the church. Uh, we have to be unified, one in Christ. And getting upset with each other over those little things and not accepting you know the differences in opinion, I think is quite a sinful urge. And I felt it myself especially in my old church where I, I didn't think that the pastor was teaching as rightly on issues and he even got caught up in the whole Black Lives Matter and the, uh, he was one of those that read right, White Fragility, which is an ongoing movement in even the conservative uh, theological community, which it's pretty much just radical political thinking being infused into the church and they're accepting it almost as gospel. Um. So I got upset over that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden I started noticing other things, like, oh, I don't, I don't really, I'm not as aligned with this form of worship or this kind of hymn. Or, and it was, it was distracting. We're, we're not supposed to go to church to get all of the things that we want, but we're commanded to go to church to, for the renewing of our mind. You know, we're supposed to hear the message that the Spirit has for us through the pastor and also be in the fellowship too and at that time there was no fellowship for my age group and so that's why ultimately we left that church is because you know things were starting to fracture and we we weren't receiving also what we needed so it became beyond what we wanted and to you know we weren't receiving the things that we needed from the church um, but at that same time I recognize I probably wasn't as, as faithful to the people of that church as I should have been. Cause I, th- I think the Spirit is still in the people of that church, and I love them very dearly. A lot of them are my friends. But it was one of those things that maybe because the Spirit or the, the right teaching wasn't being professed or, or whatnot, it was so easy to get caught up in other divisiveness and other ideas that it was just easier to leave the church, and that might not have been the best thing. Yeah. I don't know, but... I think that's going to be more and more important as we come together. Because like you said, I mean, the, the movements in the churches where churches are sort of backing down and they've enjoyed that position of not being persecuted. Because America's been great on not persecuting any religion. Yeah. But they're so used to not being persecuted that now when they're forced to either stand up and, and speak rightly on what the Word says or cave on what the Word says so that they enjoy that acceptance of the world, they'll rather cave than speak boldly. And 
my goodness, the things of the Bible will ruffle many feathers. And uh, it's, it's offensive as it stands. Because it's convicting. That's why it's offensive. People don't like to hear that there's an ultimate sense of authority, an ultimate sense of moral justice. They desire justice, but they don't want ultimate justice because it condemns them as well. Yeah. Nobody likes to hear that they've done wrong. And I've had people approach me about things I'm not doing right, and one of my first uh, responses is generally anger or uh, lack of belief <laughs> that, that that would be an issue. But it is. It, you know, you can have sin and just not recognize it, and then, yeah, your first response to being let known, it's you're upset because you don't like being convicted. I don't yeah. like being convicted, um, which... Is further proof that the Bible is true. It's it has laid that out plain to everyone that it's going to be offensive, and the, the world hates what Christians have to say because it is convicting. Yeah. But we can't back down on what the Bible says because we would be misrepresenting Christ, which is blasphemy. So we we got to be strong. Yeah, I agree. Thankfully, we don't have to be strong by our own power. That's why praying for strength and praying for wisdom and praying for understanding is so important. Because we can't even get faith for ourselves. That's all given by God. And it says, you know, ask and you shall receive. And I think that goes for everything. Maybe not necessarily uh, worldly comforts, you might ask for a million dollars, and he's probably not going to just hand that to you. Yeah. But he might. Well, but we're supposed to be praying for those things that are lasting, and wisdom and understanding yeah. is that. Yeah. Well, uh, we're about time. Okay. That was a long rant. That was, a good, that was <laughs> a good one. Well, I, I prayed that if, if God had anything that he wanted me to say that he'd make make it manifest today and maybe somewhere in that rambling somebody might get something from it i don't know yeah uh we are definitely not perfect far from uh, it. obviously not everybody agrees with something i say or maybe david says or right. believe uh, right. i mean there's something wrong with that you can have your own beliefs mm-hmm. uh but yeah something i would say is definitely like even for whether you're a christian or not i think it's still good to question yeah. Like everything. Yeah. I agree so, with you. But you can question things if you're not a believer about things about the Bible and try and seek those out. I do that because I find it fun. Right. Just because there are a lot of unanswered questions that we don't have that I just like thinking about, kind of come up with my own opinions and, uh, yeah, discussing it with the others. Uh, but. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly because. Actually, part of that, the questioning, leads into studying the Word for that understanding and for yeah. the answers to those questions. And it's like, yeah, I, you know, some somebody might not be fully aligned with what the Gospel states, and so they might go and explore other options. I'm not saying that you should, but it's. I don't think it's dangerous if you are a true Christian to look into these other worldviews and things because I think ultimately you'll find that the gospel is true and that even in looking into those you'll probably gain insight and understanding of those other topics which can give you ammunition to use in debates against them or in talks with people that are of that world's worldview that's why I think often some of the best uh, apologists in the world that's people that go out and preach the word to the people you know they're they're reasoning with the people using biblical truth are those that don't just talk to their own little group they're not just sitting there in church and talking to the people that they believe with they're out there talking to the atheists and to the muslims and to everybody respectfully but they are trying to understand where they're coming from while also not backing down on what they believe and it's yeah, it's good to question, and it's good to reason and to, to try and figure things out. But do so prayerfully. <laughs> yeah. God will be good to give you wisdom and insight, I believe. Yeah. He'll do it. Yeah. So, pretty good. I've talked too I long. Like, no, I, <laughs> I don't mind. I'll sit back and relax. So, uh, 
yeah i don't know what else to say that's about I don't it either i don't either i'll bring so, my bible next time oh, yeah? <laughs> i'll just read oh yeah we'll start reading <laughs> well but, that uh, was that was good uh i hope people enjoyed it i hope so too i hope or some people hated it if anybody was troubled by something that you hear or were disturbed by something or angry about something pray about it and if if you have specific questions for us you can get on our twitter i think that's yeah the twitter would be the only option yeah i know we we probably don't check it as often we we don't really use i mean i have twitter so mm-hmm. if you do send a message we'll know but yeah we don't generally use twitter uh i don't use most social medias anymore but i do have the twitter yeah but yeah so people get have in touch with questions us. or comments or yeah i mean it's we're here for y'all ultimately i know we don't have a huge audience but we have an audience <laughs> that's that's cool we, we don't need a huge audience no we don't have like it like this i personally i wouldn't want to be popular because that lends itself to a lot of problems <laughs> yeah we're we're flying under the radar yeah that's probably why we haven't been completely when the state starts removing attacked. Christians, we probably will have a little. We bit might longer. be able to fly under the radar. Yeah. We were talking about that. We we with how small we are, we could probably fly under the radar. Yeah, talk about whatever we want. So I was thinking, you know, even if they do start cracking down, I won't stop talking about it. They might deplatform us or something, but I think that'll be even further proof. Yeah, of things to come. So, yeah. Um, well, thanks for listening. Thanks for. Joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Any last words for us, David? As always, bowing. Bowing. That that word's not biblical, by the way. Don't 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 have any insights. We're gonna write our own Bible and put bowing in there. (laughs) The Bible of bowing. Oh exactly. (laughs) Oh well, yeah. uh, Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, catch you next time. Peace. See ya.